You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be gathering around the virtual water cooler and talking about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, how's it going? What have you been doing recently? Oh, great. I went to the dentist. And mm, fun stuff. It, yes, it's been great. Um, so, I mean, I don't like the dentist. I don't, I don't necessarily know people who, who like love the dentist or anything like that. But like, I just, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy it. Like even more so than normal people. Um, it's mostly like a feeling thing, like the, the tools scraping against the teeth and the, the poking of the gums. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, just not fun. It's not yeah. fun. Uh, and so I, I had to go recently because I have, I have a filling in one of my teeth and I, I noticed all of a sudden that there was like a little bit of a gap between the filling and the tooth. And that was a problem because uh, like whenever I would chew, like food would get wedged in it and it would just feel odd. And so it wasn't painful or anything like that, which was good. But obviously I needed to get it checked out. And I, I found out that I get to have the wonderful experience of getting a root canal for the first time, uh, which Ooh. sounds sounds awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that, Brad. Do you know when that's going to happen? Sometime in mid-July. Uh, so, yeah. Have you ever had a root canal? I have not, um, okay. luckily enough. But uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if I have something like that coming up because I had a dentist appointment scheduled for, like, April of 2020. 
And uh, I canceled that because it was the beginning of the pandemic. And then I moved to a different state and like all sorts of crazy stuff happened. And I just never ended up rescheduling it. So I've just been like making sure to, <laughs> to like take care of yeah. my teeth extra well. But uh, and now my wife and I have this big trip to Italy coming up. And like, I don't want to upset the apple cart by like going to the dentist right before that and then having yeah. them be like, Oh, well, actually, you got to come back and do this thing. So I'm just going to sort of like cross my fingers until I get back from that trip and then finally go and, and get that taken care of. Well, if it makes you feel any better. So um, I had to go to the dentist last year suddenly because uh, one of my wisdom teeth uh, cracked and I had to get it out. Uh, and that was the first time I had to go to like the dentist for anything that was like an emergency and forever. But but it had also been the first time in forever that I'd actually been to the dentist because I kept putting it off. And when I say forever, I mean like years had gone by since I had gone for a checkup or a cleaning or anything. And so only just recently did I finally get in for like a proper checkup uh, along with this most recent incident. And somehow, uh, after not being at the dentist for so long, uh, with the exception of this, this issue, everything was pretty much okay. Mm -hmm. um, except they said that I only had one very tiny cavity on the surface of uh, one of my teeth and that was it so not bad Brad yeah I mean so <laughs> now I just I just won't go back <laughs> no but um <laughs> but yeah so that was that was very very good to find out uh, and thankfully my insurance is pretty pretty decent so uh, like I, I'm still not looking forward to the root canal but the, I was told that it's better than getting um, getting another filling to like temporarily take care of it because the problem will just be it'll be an issue because i guess the filling is fairly sizable i've had it since yeah. i was a kid and it's also very close to a nerve so it would just mm. become a bigger problem later so they're just gonna nip in the bud give me root canal and then give me a crown on the tooth so gotcha okay so yeah good stuff um but let's let's talk about more fun things this is this isn't a <laughs> it's not a dental podcast <laughs> no it certainly is not uh let's get into what we've been watching so you've been watching a bunch of stuff since you've been on on uh one of these water cooler episodes. Yeah, so I'm going to start with uh, with this one movie because I feel like I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about it, but I was uh, very pleasantly surprised by how entertaining it was. Uh, and that's Senior Year, which is a Netflix comedy starring Rebel Wilson um, in a sort of uh, kind of Rip Van Winkle meets Never Been Kissed situation. Uh, so Rebel Wilson um, plays this girl who was at like the height of popularity in high school uh, and then all of a sudden, after an accident during a cheerleading routine, she was knocked out and ended up in a coma uh, for like 20 years. So she wakes up and she's almost 40 and she decides to go back to like finish her uh, high school career. So it's a little bit Billy Madison, a little bit uh, Never Been Kissed, uh, some mean girls in there as well. Uh, but it's, it's thoroughly entertaining. Uh, Rebel Wilson, who I, I typically don't like in lead role she's uh she's not one of my favorite people but i do i did enjoy her in isn't it romantic and she's good in supporting roles but she's she's very funny here uh the the writing is pretty clever and it just it plays uh with a lot of the the high school elements that we've seen in uh, romantic comedies and, and teen movies before uh and i just i just liked it a lot 
Okay, so that's senior year. That sounds good. And then you've also been covering the Tribeca Film Festival, and I, I'm guessing you're going to do like a big rundown of the stuff you've seen so far. Yeah, I'm just going to mention uh, a few of the titles here, um, some of the more more entertaining ones that I've seen. Uh, I watched Butterfly in the Sky, which is a new documentary about reading Rainbow. Uh, this is like the the seminal kids program that aired on PBS uh, through the, the 80s, 90s, and some of the early 2000s. Uh, that LeVar Burton hosted of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation fame. And uh, if you know if you weren't a kid who watched PBS or somehow missed out on, on this TV show, it was uh, an educational program that aired alongside the likes of Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street uh, that basically taught kids about various books that were available in libraries and also had a documentary element that took them around to different places around the world and really instilled this uh, spark for a love of reading and learning. And, uh, you know, I always loved reading Rainbow growing up, but I don't think I ever fully realized that it was it really was on par with the likes of Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street as far as how influential it was. And this documentary uh, really digs into that. It's just a it's a big love letter uh, with LeVar Burton being uh, one of the subjects, as well as people who were influenced by the, the series. And it does this cool thing where it brought back. Uh, four of the kids who did reviews of books in some of the the early years of the show uh, as adults. And then like it gives them the book they reviewed and like they just talk about their experience on the show and how it influenced their, you know, their life and in some cases their careers too. And so it's just this really wonderful uh, tribute to the the series as a whole and uh, was really just touching and uh, had the right dose of uh, nostalgia and also just a little bit of a message too. It doesn't beat you over the head with it. Uh, not, it's not all in your face and trying to be holier than thou, but it does come with with a point other than being a love letter to the series. And it's definitely a, an important one. So is it focused? I mean, it sounds like it's focused more on the series, but um, does it get into like LeVar Burton? I mean, you mentioned he was the subject. Does it get into like, you know, his work on Star Trek? And like, does it does it talk about like him uh, as as a uh, as a performer, as a figure? Or is it just sort of like his involvement with the show and that's it? No, it definitely touches upon uh, his profile as a performer because of how important it was for A, to have someone like that on the show, and B, how um, at one point there was a little bit of a struggle as far as like uh, letting LeVar Burton kind of be LeVar Burton on the show. Um, like, for example, uh, LeVar Burton, after they did like the first, uh, after the, I think it was after the either the pilot or after the first season, he came back and he had a completely different like hairstyle and he had a mustache and they were like, uh, well, like we kind of want to like maintain like a, you know, uh, a, the same look throughout the, the show since mm-hmm. like the host series. And he uh, was very adamant that he just wanted to be like himself and didn't want to have to to do that. And so like there, there's talk about that. There's talk about how when he was brought on to Star Trek, the next generation, they were worried that they were going to lose him being part of the show. But LeVar Burton himself was just so in love uh, and dedicated to doing the show and bringing his you know perspective and voice to it that. Uh, the Star Trek producers made sure that they worked around that schedule and were able to do it. And there's even an entire episode of Reading Rainbow that where LeVar Burton shows people around the set of Star Trek The Next Generation. There's clips from it in the documentary and everything. Oh, cool. Yeah, so there, there was definitely talk about his his the importance uh, of him being part of the show and just the, the role that he played because 
uh, without LeVar Burton, that show isn't, you know, nearly as successful as it should be. He just, he brought so much heart and passion to it that you really get a vibe that it's, it's just as much his show as it was the creators. For sure. So do you know uh, if that one has distribution yet? Or is that like, Tribeca I don't, is still so new that... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it, uh, it just premiered at, at Tribeca. So it doesn't quite have uh, distribution as far as I know. But uh, we'll, we'll be sure to, to let you know when we find out about that. Cool. What else have you been watching? Uh, I also watched another documentary uh, called Billion Dollar Babies, The True Story of the Cabbage Patch Kids. And uh, what I was thinking would probably just be like an extended episode of The Toys That Made Us actually has a little bit more intrigue to it because even though it you know lays out the, uh, the typical history of how Cabbage Patch Kids became this huge pop culture sensation, there's a little bit of a, a shadier side to how it all happened. Um, and I won't necessarily spoil what it is if you don't know the history of Cabbage Patch Kids. Um, you can probably maybe guess like what, what it is based on just how uh, intellectual property and ideas work. Um, but it's, it's a, it's an, an interesting dive into this moment because not only is it just about how Cabbage Patch Kids came to be this phenomenon, but it also about how it essentially sparked the Black Friday chaos that we know today. Because until Cabbage Patch Kids came around, there had never really been like crazy crowds charging into stores trying to get their hands uh, on you know a rare toy or anything like that this was the first time that that happened and like it became a news media headline grabbing sensation and just you know sparked this long sad history of parents and families charging into walmart and target and all these stores trying yeah. to get whatever the hot toy was so um it's pretty wild it's my one complaint about the movie is that it tries to be a little bit too stylish and clever for its own good. Um, Neil Patrick Harris narrates, and sometimes they try to they give him like little cheeky like narrative jokes, and it's like hmm, we don't need that. Uh, <laughs> and then there's also this really uh, there's this transition that it's like it's a nice uh, stylish touch at first that they use to like cut between certain clips where it's a it, it's it looks like a VCR TV auto calibration that you would normally see back on TVs and VCRs in the 90s uh, where like it, it glitches and does some tracking real quick and then mm -hmm. it, the, the image buffers into like a crystal clear image it is used way too much and it gets <laughs> super annoying real fast so if there's if they're still trying to finalize the cut for that movie before distribution I really hope they cut some of that out because it just started pissing me off <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's Billion Dollar Babies, the true story of the Cabbage Patch Kids. What else? Yes. Uh, I also watched uh, this quirky comedy called Nude Tuesday. Uh, this is a movie that was made in New Zealand. Uh, it comes from director uh, Armijan Ballantine. And this, so this is, the premise itself is kind of familiar. It, uh, it follows uh, this kind of hapless, struggling couple, and they're gifted a trip to this uh basically like a, a sex retreat to try and get the spark back in the bedroom. And that sex retreat is led by Jermaine Clement. Um, but what's, what makes this a little bit more than your typical uh, indie comedy about, you know, a couple dealing with marital problems is that this movie was uh, written entirely in a gibberish form of dialogue. Uh, it sounds like it could be a Scandinavian language, like a real language, whether it's Icelandic or, or Danish or Swedish, uh, but it's completely made up. It is, it is entirely fake. Even more interesting than that, aside from the characters speaking that language on screen, the subtitles that you see in the movie were written in post-production and aren't necessarily 
uh, translating anything that would have been like written in in the script or anything like that. So all the so, lines so you see, written, were, the post production stuff was written by somebody who is different than the writer or who did not have access to the shooting script. So I don't necessarily know if they didn't have access to the shooting script, but the writers that wrote the subtitle dialogue are completely different from the writers who wrote the, wrote the story. So okay. uh, the director, uh, Ballantine, and then Jackie Van Beek, who also plays uh, the, the woman in the couple in the movie, they wrote the story and Jackie wrote the screenplay. But then uh, Ronnie Chang, Celia Pacola, and Julia Davis wrote the subtitles in post-production. And and the result is like what's amazing is like it doesn't ever feel disjointed, uh, and the dialogue itself, this this movie feels like it's it takes place in kind of like a real world adjacent universe where where something just feels just a little bit off, um, and the the way they speak, especially at this retreat, is one of those things. And like the the dialogue itself, man, there are so many just random uh, funny lines that come from Jemaine Clement, especially as the um, the like the sex guru, and it's like the way that they use certain terms to describe like their their genitals and stuff like that. It results in some super funny lines. Uh, I'm I'm trying to get my review here up real quick so I can bring. Oh, so like one of the things that uh, there's a point when the he says I'm an eagle pimp with a bit of a grudge, <laughs> and you've bigged my mister. <laughs> and then like uh, one of the parts of the sexual retreat, one of the leaders refers to genitalia as fruity bits and conquers. And it's just little things like that that are just, it's its so funny. Um, I, I really like this movie a lot, but it's not one that will like be very friendly to, to distribution because as it's called New Tuesday, surprisingly enough, there's not a lot of nudity in the first two acts. They do a really good job of, of like uh, covering it in like clever ways that don't feel all that forced. But then the third act is there is a rampant amount of just casual full frontal nudity because it's nude Tuesday and everyone, including Jermaine Clement himself is walking around with all their fruity bits and conkers, uh, hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, that sounds like, um, maybe a streaming play or something. Maybe somebody will pick it up for streaming, but yeah, I hope someone does pick it up because it it deserves to be seen. It's a very quirky, uh, funny movie uh, that goes in a lot of fun directions. So I I hope people get to see it. Okay. Speaking of streaming movies, there's uh, another one that you watched here. Yeah, I watched the new Father of the Bride uh, that is stars Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan as the, the couple who finds out that their daughter is getting married. And I, I'm a big fan of the Father of the Bride uh, from the 90s that stars Steve Martin and Diane Keaton. So I was very, at least curious about this one because uh, it retells the story through the lens of a Cuban-American family. Uh, and coming from a family that's uh, where I'm half Mexican and my, my family and relatives are, are full Mexican, I was interested in seeing like this sort of uh, Latin approach to a, a familiar story. Um, and it's not bad. Uh, I, but I think that my problem with the movie is that it maybe uh, tries to be a little more serious than it needs to be. Because the original, not the original, but the Father of the Bride remake that starred Steve Martin and Diane Keaton uh, is particularly funny, mostly because it's Steve Martin and you also have Martin Short in a supporting role. And it's just a very uh, well-written, clever script. And in this case, it just it focuses more on the, the family drama because in this version, um, Andy Garcia and Gloria Stefan are kind of on the outs and they're on the verge of telling everyone that they're getting a divorce, but they decide to hold it back until after all this wedding stuff gets through. So that's hanging over the entire story. And 
even though Andy Garcia does have some amusing moments that feel, you know, uh, very Steve Martin esque, uh, and there's there's some bits that are funny. I just I was hoping for something that was a little bit more uh, comedically entertaining. So it's a it's a pretty well made movie, um, but I was just uh, I was hoping for a little bit more from it. I think. Mm. Okay, and then uh, well, I don't know. I can't speak for you, Brad, but I'm very curious to know what your reaction is because the next movie you're about to talk about is something that I expected a lot more from. Yeah, and that's Jurassic World Dominion. Um, and you know, here's the thing: I don't know if it's because I read so much like hate about the movie beforehand, but I didn't walk away being super mad at this movie. I, I can't come out and say that it's a very good movie, but it's certainly not a Jurassic Park movie. Um, it feels like it's just trying to be too many things. And if there's one problem, I think that the overall Jurassic Park franchise has is that it's a diehard problem. And that you have a very compelling story that is grounded and follows very realistic feeling characters getting caught up in something that is uh, extraordinary. And that's exactly what makes Jurassic Park so great. This like sense of like wonder and, you know, uh, danger and adventure that comes from bringing dinosaurs into the real world and what happens when that goes wrong. And then for years, the studio has tried to replicate that by putting people in that same scenario and figuring out ways, you know, to have dinosaurs escape and wreak havoc on the human population and keep making it believable. Uh, and much like the Die Hard franchise became increasingly more unbelievable with John McClane getting into infinitely more wild scenarios where he had to be, you know, not just a hero as a detective, but basically become an action hero. That's what we have with the Jurassic Park franchise now. And even though there are some really cool action sequences in Jurassic World Dominion, they don't feel like they belong in a Jurassic Park movie. They feel like they belong in what should have been a Jurassic World and Fast and Furious crossover franchise. <laughs> uh, or or even Mission Impossible. Because the, first ha- the entire first half of this movie is just like world-trekking action movie stuff that happens to have dinosaurs involved in the chase instead of, you know, cars and and motorcycles. Mm -hmm. Um, Because obviously there's cars and motorcycles there, but they're being chased by dinosaurs instead of more cars and motorcycles. And it's just, it just feels like too much. It feels too, too silly for this franchise. And like everyone in this series has basically become an action star now and can like, can fight people and like knows how to expertly drive cars quickly and get out of scenarios and survive plane crashes and all of this stuff. And it's just, I just, I wish that these ideas could have been used better in a franchise that would have allowed them to operate in a way that felt like it worked with the rest of the franchise. Because the, the Jurassic World movies, uh, at least the sequels, don't feel like they are in, in the same vein or spirit of Jurassic Park. Uh, and obviously, it's hard to match up a movie that is a bona fide classic and is one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, but I, I just feel like it could have, could have been better. Um, interestingly enough, I did feel like there was a lot in this movie that felt like it was Colin Trevorrow, like working Star Wars out of his system because mm, like in a, what way, uh, like just a lot of like the trying to get, get people back from bad guys who kidnapped them and just the way certain action scenes played out. And especially the way the lab in this movie is constructed, it feels like it's a Star Wars base on a Star Destroyer or a space station <laughs> or something. Uh, and so, yeah, there's some great bits in here. Jeff Goldblum is like easily the best part of this movie. Every single line he says is pretty much uh, perfect. But and there's a little bit of fun that comes from getting everyone from the original movie back together. But it's just uh, it's just way too much, and it's trying way too hard. And I I didn't walk away hating it, but I definitely didn't walk away thinking was like, well, I'm really glad I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember just despising fallen kingdom and saying like on this podcast, something like 
everybody involved with this should be ashamed of themselves. Like, you know, <laughs> I remember like saying that and then thinking like that was pretty harsh. And then like maybe going back and catching some of it on cable or something again, you know, months or a year later or something. And then being like, no, I, I think I stand by that. Uh, and Dominion, I just, I mean, I talked about it with Chris. I don't need to like rehash my opinion a million times, but uh, I just, I felt um, more disheartened at it than, and like sort of like the, the air was deflating out of me instead of like the um, any sort of like vitriol or anything like that. Like I, I think fallen kingdom made me actively like uh, angry is the wrong word, but like um, yeah, I, I felt a little bit more like up in arms about it and dominion. I was just sort of like, okay, I guess this is what these movies are now. And it's not, it's so far from what the original film was, even though, you know, every piece of marketing is all about like, we're honoring the legacy of the original and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, I don't know. It, it really just boils down to like, this is one of those franchises that was truly a one and done thing. And every single thing that happened after the first movie is just, uh, it, it just can't possibly recreate the magic of that first film. So, um, you know, on, on one hand, I, I sort of like empathize with the people who are trying, but on the other hand, like maybe it's time to, to let this one go. Uh, and just like, you know, I don't think Universal is capable of doing that, but um, or I just wish someone else would take a like a risk on doing something that prominently features dinosaurs and not just let Jurassic Park have all the fun. Like I'm oh, sure yeah. there's, I'm sure someone has ideas out there of how to craft an interesting adventure movie with dinosaurs that doesn't require a park failing and you know dinosaurs escaping into the wild. So mm-hmm. yeah, and anything else involving dinosaurs would be cool. I, I I honestly feel like too is if if they had really just done something completely different and like figured out a way to do a full-on crossover with like the fast and furious franchise then that would have made this infinitely better if they mm-hmm. would have just really fully leaned into it you know uh but as it is they had to work all the the characters and the previous stories into you know what they felt was a viable action blockbuster story and here we are yeah i think chris and i were saying like you know because we're suspecting that universal is not going to be able to uh, resist coming back for more that we were like maybe if the next movie just follows dewanda wise's character and just nobody else is involved from you know the this this trilogy or the most the original trilogy and it's just like it feels new by shedding a lot of the weight that that the franchise has sort of accumulated over the years um, and focusing on this character who I think popped pretty well in Dominion, maybe that would be an interesting way to go. Do you have any thoughts about like what you would want to see, given that Universal almost certainly won't let this go? I mean, based on this, the state of the the universe as it is, I, I don't necessarily know what you do because it's like without rehashing stuff that we've already seen. Because it's it's kind of established that like humans now have to live, you know, coexist with dinosaurs, and there's a sanctuary for those who are you know, being found and uh, captured in, in the rest of the wild and the world, what have you. Um, so, like, I don't know. Like, honestly, the one thing that I thought would would have been kind of cool to see, uh, because I, these, these part, little parts I actually enjoyed the most in the movie, is just watching a series of vignettes about, like, what life would be like if there were dinosaurs, you know, in the real world. Um, but at the same time, even though I did like those parts, I couldn't help you know, but also think that like, if this were that much of a problem that 
a lot more would be done to try and keep people safe from dinosaurs being loose <laughs> uh, in the rest of the world. Like, it seems like there's kind of like, well, no, we just have to let some of them be out there, guys. Sorry. And it's like, right. no, you don't. <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, yes. So, yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I honestly don't, I, I don't know what you do in in the world as it stands that has evolved from Jurassic Park to Jurassic World Dominion uh, to continue the story and do something different. So, I, if they do anything, I hope that they figure out a way to reboot it without, you know, doing Jurassic Park over again like they did with Jurassic World, um, and just figure out something else to do with dinosaurs. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Okay. All right, so I've only been watching three things that I wanted to mention. Uh, two of them are from the same directing duo. So Adam and Aaron Nee uh, directed a movie called Band of Robbers back in 2015. Did you ever see this, Brad? Have you ever heard of this movie? I don't think so. It was, uh, yeah, just sort of like an indie crime comedy. And it is basically uh, a modern day riff on the stories of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, where... Uh, Kyle Gallner from, well, he's been in a, a ton of things, but uh, he's just one of those guys that you would you probably like recognize his face if you saw him. Maybe not know his name, but he's been in like, uh, God, what? I mean, he was in the the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, right? Uh, I think that's true. Yeah, that was wow, 2010 or something. Yeah, that's right. Um, he was in Red State. He was in The Finest Hours. He was in the new Scream movie. There's a good example of something recent. Um, he plays uh, the Huck Finn character. And then Adam Nee, who is one of the, the co-writers and, and directors of this movie, plays the Tom Sawyer character. And they it's basically like these guys are, you know, these childhood characters from Mark Twain's stories have grown up into... Uh, you know, 20 somethings, late 20 somethings who are on opposite sides of the law and are, who are, are still friends and uh, constantly scheming and trying to find treasure and like all the things that Tom uh, Sawyer and Huck Finn did as kids, they're just sort of doing now later in life. And uh, all of the supporting characters are like, you know, uh, they have analog or, or sort of uh, parallel characters to the characters who fill out the worlds of Mark Twain stories. So like uh, Melissa Van Weist, I think is how you pronounce her name. The, the woman who plays uh, Supergirl on the, the CW show. Um, she plays officer Becky Thatcher, who Becky Thatcher was Tom Sawyer's uh, love interest in that novel. Um, and uh, yeah, there are several characters like that, but the, the cast for this is really good. Um, uh, Hannibal Burris is in this Eric Christian Olsen, uh, Matthew, great Googler is in this as well. And then um, Stephen Lang pops up in a, a sort of villainous role as this force that is, is trying to, uh, you know, get, get one over on, on the, uh, the two heroes. And um, he's the guy who seems to have it out for the, the treasure that they're sort of hunting for this whole time. So it's a, it's a pretty small scale story. Um, and, and it definitely feels like an indie movie, you know, because it, it doesn't have like a huge budget and it doesn't have, uh, a huge scope, but I thought it was a really clever example of um, a way to tap into like familiar, recognizable stuff in a way that doesn't feel, um, I don't know, craven or like cloying or just like super obvious and annoying. Uh, yeah. It felt like an, an IP driven movie that actually had like a, a fresh and interesting twist to it. So um, 
I think this movie was sort of like a calling card type of movie for these brothers, these directors. Uh, and they went on to direct The Lost City, which was the movie that came out earlier this year, starring uh, Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. So that was the other movie that I saw. Um, I wanted to, I, I saw The Lost City first and then went back um, and, and finally watched Band of, Band of Robbers because Band of Robbers had been sitting in my Netflix queue for years, actually so long that it is no longer on Netflix, but it's streaming on uh, Prime Video right now. So that's how I watched that. Um, and then I saw The Lost City and really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's like uh, pretty basic, you know, it's it's just like it's exactly what you think it's going to be from the trailers and the poster and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I actually thought that it was going to be uh, more of a, I mean, I use the word already, but more of a sort of annoying riff on Romancing the Stone, which is a movie that I grew up watching a bunch and, and loving. And I was surprised and pleased to see how much it kind of has a similar framework, but it is not necessarily like a beat for beat remake of, of that movie. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with romancing the stone, Brad, have you seen that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and you saw the lost city, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if you had that same observation. Like I, I was just, I don't know, based on the, the trailers, I kind of was like, Oh no, am I actually going to hate this? Because it's just a, uh, you know, a, um, barely, uh, hidden remake of romancing the stone but it, it it shares some plot elements but it really kind of is its own thing and i just found lost city to be like a really um you know sort of sweet enjoyable uh fun little adventure it's it's not gonna like light your world on fire but um but i enjoyed it a lot for what it was so uh, what were your thoughts on that movie I, I, we probably talked about it before but i don't recall yeah, I don't think I did actually, but yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it too. Um, there was a part of me that was that wished that uh, it maybe had like another run as far as like punching up the script for for jokes and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. That's just because I when I when a movie is a comedy, like I really want to laugh. Uh, but it did have like a, a good amount of heart, and I felt like Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock made uh, a really good team in this one as well. So yeah, uh, it definitely enjoyed it. You know, I I wasn't over the moon for it, but it was. Yeah, it was definitely better than just being a, you know, a remake of Romancing the Stone. Yeah, I think that's streaming on Paramount Plus right now, if you have that. And then I just rented it on Amazon for a few dollars or whatever it was. Uh, And then the only other movie that I watched recently was I finally got around to seeing this film that had been on my list of things to watch for a long time called The Professionals from 1966. It's a Western uh, written and directed by Richard Brooks. And it has a great cast. It stars Burt Lancaster, Lee Marvin, Robert Ryan, uh, Claudia Cardinale, and um, Jack Palance is uh, is one of the the villains. Woody Strode is in this as well. Um, and it, it's basically about this uh, this millionaire who hires a bunch of uh, specialists to um, trek into like across the Mexican border to uh, retrieve his wife who has been kidnapped and and is being housed at this sort of like um, compound, this hacienda that that a uh, notorious bandit is sort of uh, lording over. So these guys uh, who are all like specialists in different departments, like one guy is like an explosives expert and one guy is like a sharpshooter. Um, you know, all of these characters sort of get together and, and go in. So it's basically like a heist a heist uh, um, framework, but set in the old West. Um, well, actually, I think it's set in like the early 1900s or something. And I don't know, I guess the the definition of the old West, uh, I don't, I'm not sure exactly when those, um, those t- like demarcation points are for the beginning and ending of that like official era or whatever. But and in any case, it feels like a classic sort of old school Western. So uh, the performances are really good. I mean, I, the story is like, uh, 
as as you can probably surmise, um, it feels a little familiar because it's just a setup that you've seen so many times before. Um, there are some fun little interesting tweaks to it, but for the most part, it, it felt uh, just kind of like a standard thing. And I was kind of hoping for a little bit more from it, given the in, you know incredible uh, quality of the, the people involved. But this movie earned three Oscar nominations uh, at the time. So you know it was definitely like well-respected in its day. Um, and it's, it's a solid watch, but, um, but yeah, I was just sort of hoping for like, a, I don't know, 10% more juice to it or something. But, uh, if you're looking for like a fun sort of heisty type of thing set in the old West, uh, check out the professionals, which is streaming on Netflix right now. Oh, I, d- I just remembered something that I watched. Uh, you're talking about Western and stuff like that. Remind me of something that I don't think I had talked about, uh, before. Hmm. And, uh, that is the quick and the dead. Oh yes. The Sam Raimi movie. Yes. And holy crap. I. This movie was so good. I, I love this movie, and I wish I had seen it uh, a long time ago. Uh, first of all, the cast in this movie is insane. Uh, Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe, Leonardo DiCaprio, Keith David, Lance Henriksen, Gary Sinise, uh, Tobin Bell. It, it's it's nuts. Uh, yeah. And this movie is it's just it's so good. I, I, I love westerns that have like this kind of uh you know badass style to them and like it also has flourishes of Raimi's filmmaking style too uh you know just really stylish uh zooms and and pans and just the way the 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 movie itself if you don't know is about a a a dueling tournament uh in the wild west where a female gunfighter comes to town uh to enter it and she has a, a motive of avenging her father's death because she knows uh one of the the best gunmen uh in the area is going to be part of the the tournament and uh, it's just, yeah, it is the, the way the duels are shot, the way the story uh, advances, it is it feels like a very simple premise. And the way the story is drawn out to fill uh, the feature runtime is, is it's done really well. It has a great array of characters. And yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, it's so much fun. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, man, that's a that's a great call. There's one uh, shot in that movie. I saw that movie when I was probably, I don't know, 13, 14 or something, which is like really the peak time yeah. to, to see a movie like that because it was like just incredible it sort of like expanded my mind of like wow this is what westerns could be because it's so different than a lot of the traditional sort of like john wayne style yeah. sort of stoic westerns it has so much energy to it but there's one shot in it i have i have not revisited it in you know since then but there's one shot in it that is really still burned into my mind where a character gets shot through the head and the camera like looks through and you can see the person who shot him like all the way through the yeah. this giant hole in his skull and i was like man sam Raimi is going for it here so uh that's a great one do you know do you remember where you saw that brad is it streaming anywhere so at the time i saw it on netflix but that and that was but that was around the time that dr strange and the multiverse of madness came out so we've had like a month changeover since then so i don't okay. know if it's still on there so people might have to look up and see where it's streaming but even All if right. it's not streaming anywhere it's worth renting or even buying just just do it yeah i will try to uh, track down and see if it's streaming anywhere while you tell me about what you've been eating yeah, I'll dig into some uh, some fun little treats here. Um, I've, I've tried a bunch of Mountain Dews. Uh, Mountain Dew has been like on a tirade of releasing new flavors lately. There's been like one or two each month for the for the past three or four months, uh, and so uh, one of them is actually a returning flavor. It's not technically new, but it's the first time it's been back since like 2011, I think, uh, and it's Mountain Dew Typhoon. And this was one that was part of uh, what was called their Democracy promotion at the time, where they had three flavors that you could vote on, and one of them, whichever one got the most votes, became a permanent flavor. Uh, and that flavor was Voltage. But in second place 
was Typhoon, which was my favorite of the three. And it's uh, it's Mountain Dew with a blast of Tropical Punch. Uh, and I love it. It was recently re-released. Uh, you have to be a member of Dew HQ, which is like their free rewards system. And you can buy it online through the Mountain Dew store. I think it's still in stock if you want to try it. It comes in uh, six packs of 16-ounce cans. Uh, which are the the tall boys, and I I love this flavor so much, and I was so glad to have it back and have uh, some cans to keep on reserve to just have whenever I feel like having it. Man, you're breaking news to me right now, Brad. I had no idea that there was like a uh, an exclusive um, Mountain Dew related website where you could get <laughs> products that you couldn't get anywhere else. That's that's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, they've been they've been pushing it a little bit more recently, and they like they have like you know for people who are like serious Mountain Dew fans, they have like a bunch of Dew merch that you can buy and stuff like jack- <laughs> jackets and hats and coolers and, and all that stuff <laughs> of course uh so another one i tried uh this is an exclusive that you can only get at buffalo wild wings locations it's called mountain dew legend uh and it kind of started rolling out in like april and may and now it should be available at all buffalo wild wings locations uh this one is uh it's dew with blackberry citrus and a slight ginger flavor and uh, this one is pretty good. It's um, for those who've been wanting pitch black to come back, the great Mountain Dew flavor. Uh, this is probably as close as they've gotten to creating a flavor that tastes like pitch black. Um, the, the blackberry ginger flavor gives it like a little bit of a bark. Uh, it's not quite as fruity as the pitch black grape flavor was, but it's it's still pretty good, especially since it comes out of a fountain at Buffalo Wild Wings. And that's the best way to you know have pretty much any soft drink. <laughs> Um, I also uh, tried Purple Thunder, which is a, a flavor that is exclusively available at Circle K stores. Uh, you can get it there both in their fountain and in bottles. Uh, this one is a berry plum flavor. Uh, and this one has also been compared to Pitch Black a little bit. But uh, unlike the Legend, it doesn't have quite as like sharp of a, a soft drink flavor to it. It's a much more soft fruit flavor. Uh, it's... Um, Still decent, but like not one of my my recent favorites that they've they've released. Okay, uh, and then uh, another exclusive flavor, uh, Casey's General Store has a flavor called Overdrive, uh, and this one is somewhat similar to uh, to Typhoon, and that it kind of has a a tropical punch flavor, but it also has. Um, touches of mango and lime and raspberry so like it's it's been described as like a citrus punch um and it's it kind of tastes like i, I what i imagine it would be like if you had like fruit punch mixed with mountain dew essentially hmm. uh that one is is uh, is very good it's um it's definitely close to being like one of my favorite recent flavors uh that they that they've released and then uh because it's summer again mountain dew has started doing this like baja flavor promotion where they bring back baja blast in cans uh, and they have like a zero sugar version of it now because usually it's only available in fountains at Taco Bell. But during the summer, they bring it back, you know, in uh, in other forms. And along with it, they have two other new Baja flavors. They have Baja Gold, which is like a pineapple Mountain Dew and Baja Mango Gem. Uh, and last year they released uh, both a yellow and orange soda as well. But that was Baja Flash, which also had pineapple flavor, but it was all, like mixed with like a coconut kind of flavor. So it was more like a pina colada Mountain Dew. Mm. Uh, and then last year they had Baja Flash, which is like a, um, a a punch like flavored with like 
uh, different flavors as well. And so the mango gem one is probably the one that's most different uh, from the the previous version. Baja Gold isn't remarkably different from the the last one, just not really a coconut flavor, just basically pineapple with Mountain Dew. So, um, but yeah, as a big Mountain Dew fan, like I always try these new flavors. Like you know, these these are all good in their own ways. Um, but yeah, there there's so many Mountain Dews out there. It's it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but those last two you can get like pretty much anywhere: Walmart, gas stations, you know, all, and what have you. Okay, usual suspects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, digging into some some frozen tree territory, Wendy's has a new strawberry frosty. If you're a frosty fan, uh, you're gonna want to try it. They replaced the vanilla one with strawberry for the time being. You can still get the chocolate one, but the vanilla one, I believe, is temporarily on hold while they do strawberry for like the summer. And uh, I personally like this one a lot better than the vanilla one, mostly because the vanilla ice cream. I'm typically just like whatever because it's vanilla ice cream. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the the best thing about this is that because it's the frosty consistency, it's basically like it's it's not quite a milkshake. It's not quite ice cream. It's it, the, the consistency and the flavor of strawberry. Uh, it's just like having a, a delicious strawberry milkshake that you can eat with a spoon. And yeah. that's perfectly fine by me. <laughs> Man, it's been so long since I've had a frosty and I'm, I've been getting a little bit more into strawberry flavored stuff recently. So this may actually Do inspire it. me to go out and check this out. Yeah, get it. Uh, Dairy Queen also has a new line of blizzards, and I've, but I've only tried one of them because this is... This is like a, a kid-based uh, treat that I have always loved, mostly because I love Oreos and I love gummy worms and I love chocolate pudding. Uh, but this is like an ice cream version of Dirt Pie. You remember Dirt Pie, right? Oh, yeah, I love Dirt Pie. I actually don't really care for the gummy worm part, but everything else about it I'm all about. Yeah, so if, if you somehow don't know, Dirt Pie is uh, chocolate pudding with gummy worms in it, and then they sprinkle uh, like crushed up Oreo cookies onto the top of it. So it's like you're digging through you know, dirt and just finding gummy worms and, and eating them in a sweet treat. And Dairy Queen has a blizzard that basically replicates that, but with chocolate ice cream. Uh, gummy worms and then crushed Oreos on top. And man, the the way that they mix the Oreo uh, crumbs in with the the ice cream is like it's it's so good. It's just the perfect mix of it's even. Personally, I think I like it even better than like when they do just a regular Oreo blizzard because they crunch up the cookies uh, even more to give it that that dirt pie dirt pie covering. So yeah, wow. I mean, it's saying that it's better than an Oreo blizzard. That's saying something, Brad. Yeah, it's 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 pretty dang good. Um, obviously, if you're not a big fan of like having gummy worms in your ice cream that might you know be a deal breaker for you but i think it's worth it even if you eat around them and just have the chocolate ice cream with like the crumbled oreo bits it's yeah it's good stuff okay uh on a movie related uh treat i went to amc theaters uh it had been a little while since i had been i think this was when i went to see top gun maverick but uh they currently have a minions inspired banana icy uh in their their icy machine lineup Unfortunately, it has replaced the mango flavor, at least at my location, which was my favorite icy flavor and a drink that I consistently got when I went to the movie theaters. However, I do enjoy uh, a good banana flavor treat as well. Uh, If you're not an artificial banana flavor fan, this one won't be for you. Uh, Obviously, it's an icy, so they can't really easily do real banana in it. But if you do like artificial banana flavor, uh, then you'll you'll enjoy this. And I, I actually really liked it a lot. So keep an eye uh, at your AMC Theaters location because this sh- flavor should be uh, in the machine by now since Minions The Rise of Gru is coming up. Okay. And then uh, a last uh, quick Stranger Things related thing. Stranger Things has a quartet of frozen pizzas available uh, exclusively at Walmart that are uh, are tied to the, uh, the surfer boy pizza chain that you see in stranger things season four and uh you know it's frozen pizza and since it's 
tied to a, a like a, a series, I was like, well, this is probably going to be bad. <laughs> um, uh, but as far as frozen pizzas go, it's actually pretty decent. Uh, I got the the um, I think it was the three meat uh, version of it, and they the, the flavors are pretty standard. They do uh, supreme. They uh, have pepperoni, and then they have the uh, the meat one, and but then the the weird one that they have, and, and not necessarily like super weird or anything like that, uh, but it is a uh, pineapple jalapeno pizza is the <laughs> the one that's yeah kind of out of the ordinary there. Uh, so yeah, they they come in a Surfer Boy pizza box. They're in the freezer section. Uh, you should I think you still should be able to find them. I've seen them around various WalMarts uh, in my area, but uh, yeah, the the multi meat pizza with such ham pepperoni was pretty dang good as far as frozen pizzas are concerned. So who is actually making this? Because Surfer Boy is not a real company. They're just the fictional company within the show, right? I Yeah, I don't know. I There's no like label on the box, at least that I saw anyway, that indicates who actually made them. It could easily just be like Walmart's house brand, maybe, right. that, that, that's doing it. Um, and I, I haven't like been curious enough to like try and dig in on the internet to see if there's actually an answer out there. Um, but, but yeah, so I love the idea of like Netflix actually doing like research and development and like, you know, along with all their streaming stuff, there's just like people making pizzas in a different room at <laughs> Netflix HQ, sending them out. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's so all. Then the last thing is, uh, I, I don't understand why this promotion came about. Um, but there are these skinny butcher has these Stranger Things branded plant-based chicken nuggets. I don't know why there's a Stranger Things crossover because there's nothing in the the show that has anything to do uh, with chicken nuggets or plant-based food or anything like that. The only thing I can think of is that maybe it's like, oh, like in the upside down, it's crazy that that plant-based chicken nuggets can taste this good. (laughs) Wow, that's a stretch. But I mean, yeah, it sounds like the only connection possible. Yeah, so, uh, but... um, uh, the the company actually uh, sent me these to to try out. Like I got reached out to through my Brad Junk Instagram, uh, and so I, I I got these and I tried them. Uh, and honestly, like most of the plant based stuff that I've tried, as far as like the Impossible Whopper and, and things like that, has been pretty good. So I, I was curious to see how it was as far as chicken nuggets. Uh, and they're they're pretty great. You pop, pop them in the, the air fryer. They're very crispy. There's the the flavor is not remarkably different from chicken. You can definitely taste that there is a difference, but it's not one where you're just like, ugh, this is this is bad. Um, so yeah, it's it's the what is described as plant powered protein, and it they honestly taste just as good uh, as any regular chicken nugget. So if you're trying to get off meat for whatever, uh, you know, reason, then these feel like a pretty pretty decent substitute. Okay, man. All right. Well, yeah, you, you've been tearing through a bunch of stuff. So uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. Oh, real quick. Uh, the Quick and the Dead is still streaming on Netflix. So if you Perfect. have not seen that movie uh, or if it's been a while, it sounds like um, it's definitely worth a rewatch. So uh, get some more Sam Raimi in your life. Um, all right. So you can find more about a lot of the stuff that we talked about on today's show at SlashFilm.com. I'm going to link to several of Brad's uh, Tribeca reviews in the show notes. So you can just stay in your podcast player of choice and, and find them that way as well. Um, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.
For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.